Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to If Then, the show about how technology is changing our lives and our future. I'm April Glazer. And I'm Will Remus. Hey everyone, welcome to If Then. We're coming to you from Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. We're recording this on the afternoon of Tuesday, January 23rd. On today's show, we're going to talk about Amazon's new high-tech checkout-free convenience stores. And we'll talk about Facebook's new plan to rate the media by trustworthiness. What could go wrong? Later, we will be joined by Taylor Lorenz, a culture and tech reporter for The Daily Beast, about a world that's relatively new to me but has been brewing for a few years now, teen YouTube stars. They've become wildly popular and extremely rich, but they're also incredibly controversial. And lastly, don't close my tabs. Our picks for the best on the web this week. All right, Will. So what uh, what are you writing about this week? What's on your mind? Well, we talked last week about the big changes to Facebook's news feed. Facebook's year of soul searching continues, and their latest step has been to try to develop a way to differentiate trustworthy news sources from those that might be misleading or sensational or fake news or low quality in some way or another. They're actually going to be surveying users and saying, hey, do you trust the New York Times? Do you trust uh, Fox News? Do you trust BoardPanda.com to deliver you the news? And the company says they will use the results of those surveys to help with their newsfeed algorithm, which determines what posts you see at the top of your feed. So in theory, this could be a boost for reputable news outlets like the New York Times, and it could hurt fake news outlets if all goes as planned. Right. And so, I mean, what do you think about this whole, you know, asking users to do more work to pick what should be in their newsfeed? It seems like that kind of exacerbates the existing problem, which is that people are, you know, only seeing what their friends and family share and what their friends and family share. Don't give them diverse viewpoints and kind of keep them in this filter bubble and and kind of don't give them the information they need to really understand the political issues at hand and kind of, you know, participate meaningfully in political life. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. But I think there's a distinction between what Facebook is doing with respect to filter bubbles, which honestly, so far from what I've heard is not a lot. They're not really trying to combat that effect 
by which you get information filtered through your own friend networks. They seem to be emphasizing that, if anything. But what they're trying to do here is at least make sure that when news stories are getting shared widely, that they're more likely to be from actual reputable news outlets versus like some site that a kid in Macedonia cooked up that imitates a reputable news site and just spreads you know, propaganda or plagiarism or whatever else. Hey, I understand that, but I guess if people are clicking on stories, you know, from propagandists or from like, you know, random pop-up blogs that are masquerading as news sites already, it seems like they already lack the media literacy to know what they trust and don't trust. And people are just going to say that they trust the things that they've heard of, but that's not going to stop them from clicking on stuff they haven't heard of. I guess it just seems like kind of a, a, a futile or, or even messy way to go about the problem of, you know, making sure that people are seeing news that matters. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And I don't think this is magically going to solve all of the underlying problems with the way Facebook works as a distributor of news and information. That said, one of the effects of Facebook is to strip away the context of the news when you see it in your feed. I mean, a story from the New York Times looks the same in your feed as a story from, um, you know, ABC.net, which was a, a fake site that that you know some hoaxer dreamed up. They both have the same format. And so I think this is a way that Facebook is going to try to at least partly remedy that problem where they are able to differentiate between higher quality and lower quality sources of news. I know this is going to be really hard for them. It it might well go wrong. I just admire that they're they're trying. I mean, I've been like calling for years for Facebook to take some responsibility for its effect on the media and democracy and civil discourse. And it's, it seems to me like they're genuinely trying to do that. I think they're generally trying up to the point where they're going to have to admit that they have a cura- like a, a curational responsibility, right? Or the, a curatorial rather responsibility. Um, it seems like they're they're down to do it up to the point where they're going to have to make a decision where they might alienate some some users. Um, and I, I just think they're they're also, you know, scrambling to to fix their site before the midterms. Right. Or before before November of this year, when we have another election coming up. Right. Because they don't want to ha- have a repeat where they were basically blamed by everybody for the outcome of the of the elections in 2016. Right. And so maybe this, the idea of taking the news out of the feed and the news that is in the feed will be the news that you choose, you know, is kind of their way to quick fix this. Um, I just think it's good that they're trying to do something. Sure. It just seems like they're trying to do everything to a point of actually doing what a a media company does or a broadcaster does, which is curate uh, what matters and and make sure that that, that people kind of see the, the news that they need to see. Right. Yeah. And I think you've definitely hit on the tension here, which is that they are trying to make these fundamentally subjective judgments about the quality of a news source or the trustworthiness of the news source, but they refuse to make any subjective judgments themselves. So they're outsourcing this to users and they're calling that objective. But of course, there is no such thing as objective quality of news sources. It's all subjective. And so if they don't admit at some point that they are making some human choices here, then there's going to be a limit to how effective it can be. I agree with that. April, let's talk about what you're working on this week. Uh, Sure. You know, uh, something I, I opened the week with Amazon 
Amazon's new store in Seattle called the Amazon Go Store. And this is a particularly interesting store because unlike most stores where you check out, at this store you check in, right? So the idea is that you download an app, you scan the app, and then this kind of cocktail of sensors that are littered throughout the store on the shelves, you know, maybe on the items, cameras all over the place, they can tell when you took something off the shelf and you just walk out and it charges to your Amazon account. So um, there's no checkout. That is crazy, by the way. That's crazy that the cameras can tell what you're taking off the shelf. It's it is and and that means that there are a lot of cameras watching you, right? And so, um, in one way, we might think that this is just you know going to be a hot spot for uh, for for thieves, but you know actually it's 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 a heavily monitored situation. Yeah, I saw the reporter. Was it the New York Times reporter who tried to, with Amazon's permission, went in and tried to like put a paper bag over an item on the shelf, and then pull it off the shelf to see if that fooled the cameras? But the but the cameras still somehow knew that that he was stealing or she was stealing. Right. Yeah, that he was stealing. And so um, so so that's, you know, one issue is that there's not people there. Uh, That also means that um, there aren't, you know, those people that would be working those retail jobs, those front of house jobs. Right. Instead. um, And this isn't like, you know, what like we see in fast food chains where we see people replaced with kiosks. Um, Instead, this is kind of changing the whole grocery experience altogether. It's interesting. I mean, it just it reminds me of the fact that a lot of the value of these massive tech companies and internet companies is replacing human labor with automation in just all kinds of different ways. And this is another example of that, right? Where where the human labor that used to be involved in running a grocery store will now be done instead by cameras and machine learning software and sensors and and all that kind of technology. You know, if if it works out, this is just the first store, you know, um, there may be more, there may not be more. It depends on on how much people take to this. There certainly was a line that stretched well across the block uh, at the opening on Monday, which kind of, you know, I, I, I would say uh, d- destroys the idea of the convenience of the place. It's supposed to be super quick in and out. Um I'll be honest, though, if I was in Seattle, I probably would have been in that line. I just think <laughs> I think it's really fascinating. Oh, I definitely want to check it what out. It's actually like. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out. But I would say like, you know, on like, you know, an Uber or a Lyft situation where we see the app or the automation replacing the dispatcher or, you know, uh, th- where there is actually a, a public alternative where people could take the city bus or the the, the BART instead. When it comes to uh, groceries, we don't have those same kind of public alternatives, right? So it's not like you can just go to the public grocery store. Um, and, and that's why it's really important that grocery stores accept things like food stamps and EBT cards. And, you know, I did ask yesterday... Uh, if the uh, the Amazon Go store was accepting EBT cards or, or, or SNAP food stamp benefits, and they said at this point they are not. Yeah, that seems like that seems like a huge problem. If in the future all of these stores just exclude poor people or people with food stamps, I tend to think that's something that they will probably you know have to figure out pretty early on. I can't imagine that they would keep going that way. But I I, I like that you called attention to that because so often we get caught up in the convenience of a new technology and don't think about who might be excluded from it. Yeah, and you know of course certainly there's responsibility for the federal government to make sure that you know these food stamp programs are compatible with online grocers, and it's also the very important for these, you know, massively wealthy tech companies. Amazon is one of the most valuable companies 
in the world. Its founder and CEO, Jeff Bezos, is often the most you know, richest man in the world, um, for them to, to, from the outset, as they're pioneering these new technologies, also make sure that they're inclusive from the start, too. They certainly have the resources to think this through. And, you know, sometimes it's a matter of pressing pause and, and, and making sure that they work for everyone first. All right, time for a short break. And when we come back, we'll have our interview with technology and culture reporter Taylor Lorenz. Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Our guest today is Taylor Lorenz. Taylor is a technology and culture reporter at The Daily Beast. Her work has appeared in New York Magazine, Fast Company, BuzzFeed, The New York Observer, People, Entertainment Weekly, The Hill, and recently The Atlantic. Welcome to If Then, Taylor. Hi, thanks for having me. One uh, kind of beat that you've you've really been... um, pioneering or, 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 or really setting the, the pace on lately has been this world of social media stars and teens uh, and this kind of somewhat, I, I, I want to say, uh, unregulated or, or at least, you know, not not in the traditional sense as we think of like, you know, Disney teen stars that, you know, have this very doctored persona. But but these people are, are just using YouTube and and um and other kind of like popular social media platforms to to get out there. Um, maybe you could start off by 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 telling us how you found this space and kind of who these characters are. So I've been obsessed with this space um, probably f- forever, or as long as I found the internet. But I got really interested in um, initially people who are becoming famous on Tumblr, and then sort of later just sort of how um, different online platforms facilitate fame. Um, when I was at People Magazine, my main project there just even a couple years ago was sort of figuring out, helping the company sort of figure out how to how to deal with this new type of mm. celebrity because like you mentioned, they are so different and just even working with them and covering them is so different than covering sort of traditional entertainment. You mentioned that the YouTube stars of today are different in important ways from teen stars of the past. So one that you've written a lot about is Logan Paul. You were on the Logan Paul beat before before the rest of the world turned its attention to Logan Paul after that video that he recorded in the so-called suicide forest in Japan. It was all, it was going to be a joke. Yeah. Yeah. It was all going to be a joke. <laughs> Why did it become so real? What the f*** is going on? I don't know, dude. I don't know. <laughs> Why? It's sinking in, bro. This wasn't supposed to happen, man. You had written about his legions of tween fans. What is different about the relationship between a YouTube vlogger like Logan Paul and, you know, today's 10 and 12 year olds versus, I don't know, you know, a band like One Direction or like for an older generation, um, you know, Backstreet Boys or New Kids on the Block or whatever? 
think that the way that their fans relate to them is radically different. You know, a lot of people compare like sort of vlogger craziness to like Beatlemania or something. And it's really different because I think that, you know, people who consume uh, content from these creators, specifically a lot of the kids that follow them, they they relate to these people on a much more personal level. They don't just watch their vlogs every day, which is, by the way, a lot more, you know, that they put out, these vloggers put out a lot more content than like One Direction does. You know, One Direction will put out a hit album, it'll resonate with kids, but they're not creating content every single day and and documenting every moment of their life, every feeling, every up and down. You know, these people, like especially YouTubers, they're not just putting out content on YouTube. They're putting out content 24-7 on Instagram stories. They're responding to people on Twitter. They're, you know, engaging fans in all these different types of apps. A lot of them are on Musical.ly or other emerging platforms. And um, so, you know, kids come to relate to them in this really deep level. It's sort of somebody that's like with them 24-7 in their pocket. A lot of the YouTubers, too, um, they speak a lot. It's not, I would, I hesitate to call it culty, but they're kind of motivational or sense. Like, you know, they really work hard to build communities around, um, around themselves. And, you know, you can look at that obviously as a way for them to later promote merchandise or sell things to these kids. But they also, um, you know, focus on building these deep relationships. Like, for instance, you know, Jake Paul, Logan's Paul brother, he'll do these sort of motivational Instagram stories where he'll talk about bullying. He'll talk about, you know, his troubles in school and he'll explain to the kids who follow him, like, you know, don't worry. And by the way, like message me if you're going through something, you know, and, and they'll engage heavily with their fans back. So, um, I think that it's just a much deeper, closer, more personal relationship than what, um, you know, kids have with other sort of like more mainstream entertainers. There's just like a layer of difference there. I will leave it at that, guys. Thank you all for tuning in. Join the movement. Become better every day. Smile every day. Work hard every day. And I will see you guys tomorrow because it's every day, bro. Peace. Right. These kids aren't situated in a sitcom that is a bunch of, like, staged problems with your parents that you eventually get over in 30 minutes at the end of the show. They're actually talking about things that, you know, kids deal with every day. And and, and then, like you said, they're actually in the kids' pockets. So they're making a, just a ton of content there, Right. Yeah, they make content 24-7. Everything is content to these people. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think that's what got Logan Paul in trouble, too. It's like he didn't even think twice about potentially not vlogging a dead body when he came across it because he's so used to sort of documenting every single part of his life um, and every single moment that he experiences. Like, he wants his fans to experience with him. Um, so, yeah, so that I think that that's really different. And kids kind of, like see these people not as a friend i mean they know that like jake is too big of a deal and they sort of idolize him too or and logan same thing um or any vlogger but i think that they feel like this person helps them or this person helps them deal with you know whatever they're going through at school or life or whatever one question i had is i mean it seems like they're making money obviously from advertisements on youtube is that and then i guess they're selling Merch. merchandise um and one of the big things that you wrote about with jake paul and sorry i got this wrong earlier i had logan confused with his brother jake but everyone your, your confuses piece on, the two they're both blonde teen idols so it's understandable uh, but in your piece you said that uh people lined up in the freezing cold for hours these nine-year-olds out there chanting outside of a jake paul merchandise pop-up shop so i guess that's another way that they make money part of the appeal yeah. as i understand it is the lifestyle they, they live in this mansion in la are they making you know millions on youtube ads and merchandise Absolutely. And I just want to stress because I think it gets under recognized like these kids are merch machines, like especially when you think of Jake and Logan Paul, like 
no one has ever pushed merch the way that these two push merch. And I think that they have sort of developed this entirely new revenue stream um, that sort of other creators um, have have hopped on the bandwagon. You know, we've seen 40 of the top YouTube creators launch their own custom merch lines this year, and they're constantly pumping out like new and custom merch. Like, you know, Jake Paul, for instance, will monetize every relationship that he has. You know, he sells ship merch with, um, you know, his sort of name with him and his, potentially fake girlfriend um, that he sells to fans and he'll sell these limited edition things. He literally released a Christmas song where he sings out the URL to his merch shop. Um, so it's a huge revenue stream for them. Um, obviously, you know, the probably the bigger revenue stream is those ads on YouTube. But I think that that merch is is sort of growing. But like you said, it's all about buying into a lifestyle. And it's all about sort of feeling like you're part of this community. And so, you know, for Jake and Logan Paul, it's like, are you part of the low gang? Are you part of the, you know, Jake Paulers? And um, if you are, then, you know, you need this sweatshirt and that just makes you more of a hardcore Jake Pauler and you're just that much closer to kind of like being in the squad. Is real. Tomorrow's vlog is a huge one. So be ready for that. Turn your post notifications on. Ring the little bell. And with that said, Lil Gang, I love y'all. And I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, who's that Santa looking at? Take your gifts and give them back. Maverick merch is where it's at. Got the hoodie, got the hat. Who's that Santa looking at? You should drink more milk, not fat. You should get my new back. I guess one thing I'm curious about is where women stars fall into this, because it seems that male stars and female stars um, or even teen girl stars uh, kind of occupy very different roles in this world of social media, uh, you know, celebrities. I mean, so I am so glad you asked about this because I feel like this is something I wanted to kind of like get into more. I'd love it if you wrote about it. (laughs) It's so interesting. No, I'm... I'm trying. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I think that like females, female vloggers especially have, you know, they play several different Mm. roles in this community. Um, The vlogger sort of influencer community is really male driven just because so much of what does well on YouTube is like pranks and sort of men being like entitled dumb jerks on the internet and that's what drives views and so people like jake paul and logan paul will sort of like that's how they become famous um they're like the ultimate there are a lot dude of other, bros it seems like yeah they're like dude bros and also they're like blonde and mm-hmm. if you're a 12 year old girl you know you're gonna crush on them um and young so it's like young girls want to kind of like idolize them and then young men young boys really like want to be them um, and then women, um, I mean, there are really big women. I mean, there are women that have been in Team 10 Jake squad who I, have sort of almost eclipsed him. Um, the most famous sort of like foil to Jake Paul is Alyssa Violet, who Jake sort of actually, you know, she used to date Jake and now she's really become sort of famous on her own. She has a rival vlog squad to Jake. Um, so Jake has his Team 10 group and Alyssa has what she calls Clout Gang, which is a bunch of vloggers that are sort of like the anti-Jake Pauls. Um <laughs> And she, you know, she does similar things like she'll do some pranks, but she she'll, she does a lot of kind of like just life broadcasting, um, you know, talking about her struggles, talking about what she's going through. Basically, a lot of stuff has happened in the past few days. I just took so, a big poop in my bathroom. That's exactly what I mean. Security. No. <laughs> if you guys want to catch up on what I've been doing and what Ricky's been doing and everyone, then watch his vlog. His link is in my description. So check that out. Oh, you. You're welcome. Yeah. There's also Tessa Brooks who recently left Team 10, but is also, she's actually really into dancing and, um, you know, has a ton of dance videos on Instagram. I mean, a lot of the women are objectified um, 
Erica Costell, who's Jake's current potential slash not potential girlfriend, um, is, you know, also a model turned vlogger. Um, and a lot, a, there's a lot of Instagram models turned vloggers. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's hard for women because so much of what performs well on YouTube is like drama types driven stuff and prank driven stuff. And that is just more dominated by men. Um, but, but I don't know, a dance, um, and gymnastics and stuff is, is really big on YouTube. And there are a lot of kind of like dancers also, I mean, we're not even getting into the whole beauty influencer space, but there are like powerhouse beauty vloggers that live in a completely like female dominated sort of version of YouTube. They're just, it's just a different YouTube universe than the sort of like stereotypical influencer universe. Yeah. I don't, I don't know whether I, I find it more disturbing that a generation of kids it wants to be vloggers and is like logging, attempting to log their lives on YouTube and aspires to that as their highest calling, or that they're modeling themselves on these on these dude bros like uh, Jake Paul and Logan Paul. I think it's funny. You know, I talked to so many parents, and I um, just even when I covered Jake Paul's pop up shop, so many kids there were had their vlog cameras. So many, and they were like eight years old, you know, and they had their like vlog squads and stuff, and. I don't think that wanting to be a vlogger is inherently bad. I mean, like a lot of parents say, you know, at least unlike kids that maybe want to get into sports, that they know that they'll never kind of be a baseball star and they're not really learning transferable skills. Like learning vlogging, like you learn video editing, you learn how to work with a computer, you learn a lot of like transferable skills that you could theoretically use for a job one day. Um, So I don't think it's like problematic. I do think that like idolizing these influencers that are just sort of leeching off these children is not necessarily a positive thing. Um, And I think that like what you said, well, like just, yeah, idolizing that like dude culture and bro culture is, is not, you know, there's always, I don't know, parents always prefer for their kids to idolize like some straight A perfect student, but that kid is not going to get any views on YouTube. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I learned a lot from our conversation. I've loved following your work. Uh, We're big fans. Um, Thanks again. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. All right, one more quick break and then don't close my tab. Some of our favorite things we've seen online this week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time again for Don't Close My Tabs. Will, what tab couldn't you close this week? All right, this is a tab that probably a lot of you actually saw this week in your email inboxes. It was an email from Netflix, the streaming video service, and the title was, Why Our Monthly Prices Are Changing. Yes, I'm using an email as my tab this week, and it's because Netflix bumped up its prices, but it also just reported its earnings, and apparently the service is still growing. They're still adding subscribers despite raising the price. This seems like 
good news, I think, for the broader project of getting people to pay for good stuff online. Um, that said, Netflix didn't have a, a perfect earnings report. Apparently, it lost an incredible $39 million in production costs due to the sexual harassment scandal around star Kevin Spacey, who was working on both House of Cards and a Gore Vidal biopic for Netflix. So a mixed earnings report for Netflix, but one that seems seems really encouraging in the long term if you're a person who believes that it's a good thing that people will pay for, uh, you know, sort of high quality entertainment on the Internet. So why would they be raising prices if they're doing so well? It might be because they don't have any real competitors. Does that mean that Amazon isn't that big of a threat to them? I guess that's one way to look at it. I mean, Amazon, you know, always seems to compete on price and value. I think this is Netflix saying we're confident that we have a differentiated product and all this money that we've poured into these high production value shows has paid off in the form of really high loyalty from our customers. And that's allowing us to to jack up prices and not worry that you're all going to flee to Amazon or Hulu or whatever else. I realize it's a little strange that I'm calling this a good thing, given that we're all, you know, whoever wants Netflix now is having to pay more. I should note that if you subscribe to the basic version um, and not one of the two higher tiers at $7.99 a month, that price isn't changing. So you can still get that that uh, smaller version of Netflix for the same amount. So for my tab this week, I'm actually handing it over to our interview guest, Taylor Lorenz, who's going to be talking about a story of hers that we talked about at a previous episode. That's right. So you may remember that one of our first tabs on this show was a story by today's interview guest, Taylor Lorenz. The headline was, the CEO of HQ, the hottest app going, says, if you run this profile, we'll fire our host. This is a great scoop that Taylor got. We talked about it several weeks back, and now we are so fortunate to have Taylor on here to give us a little bit of the inside story of how that came about. I'm so fascinated, like you said, sort of earlier by sort of how these apps facilitate uh, fame. And so when I saw HQ blowing up, my first thing that I was interested in is like, who is this guy that's becoming famous off of this app? And like, what's driving him? What's his story? Like, how did he even get it here? Like, how has fame affected him? So um, yeah, so I reached out to him and said, you know, like, listen, I've been reading all these stories about the business side and um, sort of like the consumer side of like how everyone loves to play HQ, but I really want to tell a more personal story and like, what, what's your life like? Like, how's it changed? Pretty benign stuff. Um, and we chatted. He gave me a whole interview. He just, you know, it was really positive. Like, he's honestly just like a pretty non-offensive kind of geeky guy. Um, and so I reached out to the founder to kind of like just get further comment. And he went ballistic and like just started screaming at me and said a bunch of crazy stuff, uh, which he never said was off the record. So I obviously was like, OK, well, I'm just including all of this then in my story because he had been threatening to fire Scott. He said, you know, if you run this story, like we'll fire Scott. And I just thought it's insane. Um so, yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, just to give you some backstory, like you said, I covered social media for a long time and I was familiar with Russ, the founder, and familiar with the fact that this is sort of like a pa- like a pattern of his, like he's sort of known for his volatile behavior. So um, to me, it's sort of like, it, you know, I guess it was worth writing about in the sense that like it's this is not just like some one off thing where I caught him on a bad day. He's kind of like a volatile person. Um, I think he's tried to tone it down now that they're trying to fundraise but um 
But yeah, uh, it ended up being kind of crazy. And it's sort of ironic now because Scott is this like cultural sensation and there's like a new profile of him everywhere every week. So I, I loved your story on that. It was it, because it just provided this window into how people try to manipulate the press. And obviously this was like a comically extreme example, but everybody in the media could relate to this where some some jerk is trying to shut you down and keep you from writing their story, but they overplay their hand and don't realize that everything they're saying, you know, can be used yes. can be used in print. I also just like felt bad for Scott. Like he was initially just a contractor and I think like the relationship between like, I mean, I think Scott completely kind of like put that app on the map. And I think, um, I think a lot of apps and it's funny that, you know, Russ came from Vine, which is notoriously sort of like didn't really recognize its creators, but a lot of these, um, apps don't recognize the, the talent as being like, or just the creators on the app is like being so integral to that. Like they'll think, Oh, I made this amazing app and piece of technology. And they don't really realize that it's a lot of times the personalities that are on the app that drive its success. Thanks again to Taylor Lorenz of The Daily Beast for joining us and for expanding on one of our tabs. That's our show for today. You can get updates about what's coming up next by following us on Twitter at IfThenPod. You can also email us at ifthen at slate.com. You can follow me and Will on Twitter as well. I'm at April Laser and Will is at Will Oremus. And if you liked the show, as always, please help us spread the word. We really appreciate it if you'd leave us a comment and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. If Then is a production of Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Thanks to Jesse Nichols at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley. And thanks to Don Aulis at Room with the VU in Santa Barbara. We'll see you next week. <laughs>